Due to the storm that occurred on March 2nd and the share that occurred last week, we're going to air the March 2nd episode of Catholics in the Capital. On this episode of Catholics in the Capital. My guests are Paul McCusker, Father Jack Hurley from the Cathedral of St. Matthews, Dan Dan the Radio Man, Michael Wasabaugh. All this and more, stay tuned. Catholics in the Capital starts right now. Good afternoon, friends. I am your radio host, Christina Cox, and thank you for joining us on Catholics in the Capital. We are coming to you from our nation's capital in Washington, D.C., today on Friday, March 2nd, 2018. Well, I'm excited to be here, for we have such an interesting show today. When I think of the month of March, I think of one thing, and that is St. Patrick's Day is coming. St. Patrick is the patron saint of Ireland. You know, when I grew up in Long Island, New York, in a traditional Irish Catholic family, all my father's cousins had Irish surnames like McCabe, Murphy, and my grandmother was a Moran. It was a fun time hanging out with my cousins, and we celebrated not only St. Patrick's Day in Catholic school, but at home. My mother always cooked the corned beef and cabbage every year, and later when we got older, we would go into New York City to celebrate St. Patrick's Day by attending Mass at the St. Patrick's Cathedral on Fifth Avenue. My father was so Irish that the good Lord took him to heaven on his funeral was on St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick the Saint meant so much to me personally that I named my son after him. For I believe that St. Patrick was a man who loved God so deeply, and he converted so many unbelievers to the Catholic faith. So I wrote to New York Archbishop John O'Connor and told him I was a single mother, and he invited me to bring my baby son into the cathedral when he was only two months old, where he gave him a special blessing after a Sunday Mass. Patrick, my son, was later baptized there. When I heard about the new CD audio tapes called The Trials of St. Patrick by Augustine Institute, I couldn't wait to hear them, so I contacted them about their programs. So today we're going to meet Paul McCusker, and he is the writer and the producer of The Trials of St. Patrick. And Paul is with the Augustine Institute. These are new CDs that Paul was producing many stories about several saints, but today we're going to listen to some clips of the trials of St. Patrick. Then later in the show, we're going to talk with Father Jack Hurley, who was born in Ireland, now is a priest here at the Cathedral of St. Matthews. Father Jack is also the chaplain of the Ancient Order of Hibernians, and he's going to share some stories about St. Patrick's the Saint. Then we're going to chat with Dan Dan, the radio man, about what to see and where to eat on St. Patrick's weekend. And then you'll want to jot down some cool places where you can listen to Irish music or what's happening with the masses. It's perhaps St. Patrick who is one of the most famous saints of all time. Today we're going to learn about a man who became the saint. You know, it was during the Irish potato famine in 1845 to 1849 that so many Irish came to America. And my great-grandfather, John Moran, was one. At that time, they came through Castle Garden. That was much before Ellis Island. And they got jobs in Lower Manhattan. These Irish people kept coming and helped to build a great America. And many of them entered and fought in the Civil War. They were called the Fighting 69th Regiment. 
and we will talk about that later with Father Jack. So before we meet Paul, I'd like to start with a prayer to St. Patrick. Have you ever heard of the breastplate of St. Patrick's prayer? It goes like this. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Christ be with me. Christ within me. Christ behind me. Christ before me. Christ beside me. Christ to win me. Christ to comfort and restore me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ in quiet. Christ in danger. Christ in hearts of all that love me. Christ in the mouth of friends and stranger. Now joining me in the studio is Michael Wasabaugh, and he's going to be talking about some quick news about Pope Francis. Hi, Michael. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Christina? I'm doing wonderful. Do you know anything about Pope Francis will be making a trip to Ireland? Yeah, it's going to be coming up most likely. Nothing has been finalized yet, but most likely the speculation is that Pope Francis will be making a trip to Ireland in 2018 during the Catholic World Meeting of Families in Dublin. The Catholic World Meeting of Families was set up in 1994 by then Pope John Paul II. It's staged every three years, roughly, in different locations around the world and generally attended by the Pope of the day. So that's why we are believing that Pope Francis will be making that trip. And if he does, Christina, visit Ireland, it will be the first papal visit to Ireland since St. Pope John Paul II's visit in 1979. The Catholic primate of all Ireland, Archbishop Eamon Martin, said that he was delighted by the announcement and is confident the World Meeting of Families will be an uplifting event. He said that the Pope has selected a theme of marriage and families. So families and others from all over the world will gather in Dublin from August 21st through the 26th to celebrate their lives together, to share their experiences from different parts of the world, to reflect on the different challenges that they face, and to grow together in the faith. And also, when he's there, the Pope is likely going to visit Our Lady of Knox Shrine, which in Ireland is where observers stated that there was an apparition of the Blessed Virgin Mary, St. Joseph, St. John the Evangelist, different angels, and Jesus Christ, and that all happened in 1879. So we've also heard that Pope Francis may not do an open Mass in Dublin. We're still waiting more details for that to come. Tour groups, they're now booking pilgrimages for the World Meeting of Families Conferences. If you want to know more, simply go to WMOF2018Dublin.com. That's WMOF2018Dublin.com. Well, I'd love to be there. How about you? I've never been to Ireland before. It would be a great time to go, and especially if you can see the Pope all in one time. Why not? And they have these tours that will probably go all over from Our Lady of Knock to uh, Dublin. and uh, It would get to definitely see. be something to see a place where an apparition occurred. And the Our Lady of Knock Shrine would be a great place to visit. That's right. And then we have Archbishop Martin, who is involved with the World Meeting of Families. I believe that the Taoiseach went over to invite the Pope personally several years ago. So it usually takes about two years to arrange the World Meeting of Families. Sure. And the theme is going to be celebrating uh, marriage Marriage and and families. families. So that would be really wonderful if we could get over there in August. It would be. (laughs) And and do some reporting. Maybe we can uh, on the company dime, too. You never know. You never know. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So do you have any experiences for St. Patrick, uh, you know, since you grew up here in Washington? Well, actually, I grew up in Pittsburgh. Oh, in Pittsburgh. Okay. I've I've been in Washington for a while. But that's okay, because growing up in Pittsburgh, I had plenty of experiences there. 
some what do people, they do there? Some people may not know. Next to Chicago, Pittsburgh has the second largest St. Patrick's Day parade in the entire United States. I didn't know that. It is huge. People pour out of buildings. They're in parking structures, lining the streets of Pittsburgh, all for this parade. There's over 20,000 people that march in the parade. Amazing. And we're looking at over 300,000 lining the streets every year for this. My father, he was a, a city of Pittsburgh firefighter, so they used to march in the parade with their Irish marching band that they had going, oh. the bagpipes and the drums and all that stuff. And afterward, we just found a great place to go get a nice corned beef sandwich. And my dad uh, had a, a green beer. I don't know if you've yes. ever done that before, but... Uh, of course, uh, yes. You know, you got to have a green beer on St. Patrick's Day, right? Yes, you do. Yeah. How about yourself? Well, no, just, you know, used to be in New York City a lot. I've been in the parade. I've wa- You know, a parade is walking. It's not like the Columbus Day Parade where you're allowed to drive in your cars. Okay. Up for the- you must walk. I had friends. Probably of- for safety purposes. Friends that were in the labor industry. They would walk two times up and down. Really? You know, well, like my one friend, he was the head of the building trade, so he had to walk once with all the, the big officials, <laughs> the mayor, then turn around and walk walk with all the construction workers. Uh, he got his week's worth of workouts in during that one day. Yes, and then, you know, the uh, archbishop used to stand on the front of the steps and wave to everybody. Sure. And it's a, just a wonderful day. I brought up my son to know what it was like to go to the parade and every year. It really meant something uh, special to us. It almost signifies the start of spring, too, the unofficial start of spring. The weather's starting to break. It might be a little colder, but generally it's in the upper 40s, mid, you know, mid to low 50s, and the sun is usually out, too. Well, so. I've been there when it snowed, but it does <laughs> break up Lent. You know, we are in Lent, that, and we're not supposed too. to be celebrating too much, but somehow they excuse us if it winds up on a Friday. That's right. This year it's on a Saturday. So we don't but, have to worry uh, about that. We, sometimes the Archbishop Dolan will excuse you and That's let right. you have a, a slice of corned beef or so. <laughs> Well, that's great. Well, thank you for telling us about that. And let's look forward to uh, Pope Francis's visit to Ireland later in August. And I just want to tell you a little bit about Paul McCusker that's coming up. Paul McCusker is a writer known for his work on long-running children's audio programs like Adventures in Odyssey and his related videos and novels. He is also a Peabody Award-winning writer and director of Focus on the Family Radio Theater. He's done many audio dramas like The Chronicles of Narnia and The Christmas Carol, Oliver Twist, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis at War. But the ones I like the best are Pope Francis and The Ode to St. Cecilia. But today we're going to listen to his special one, The Trials of St. Patrick. And he's published over 50 works. So when we come back, stay tuned for Catholics in the Capitol. And I will be right back. Are you looking for a school for your daughter, grades 6 through 12, that offers an inspiring education grounded in the teachings of the Catholic Church? Oak Crest School, an independent all-girls school, has been doing that for over 40 years. For more information or to set up a tour at its beautiful new campus centrally located in Vienna, Virginia, go to oakcrest.org forward slash W-M-E-T. That is oakcrest.org forward slash W-M-E-T. Well, welcome back to Catholics in the Capital, and I'd like to introduce Paul McCusker. Thank you for joining us today, Paul. 
Thanks. It's a pleasure being with you. Well, you know, I'm so interested in learning about how these wonderful CDs about the saints came about. Can you tell us? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm working with um, the Augustine Institute in Denver, um, which a lot of people would know through things like Symbolon, a lot of the videos they do. And uh, for years, I've been doing audio dramas. Um, I worked with Focus on the Family on things that they did, the radio theater and Adventures and Odyssey. And the Augustine Institute wanted to do audio dramas primarily for a Catholic audience. Of course, it, it's fine for those who aren't Catholic, but uh, the starting point with uh, the president, Tim Gray, he thought we really ought to tackle the lives of some of the saints to sort of bring them to life, to kind of get beyond some of the, I don't know, the thinking we often have about saints. You know, my, my problem when I became Catholic, my problem with the saints was that they were always like the big brother that people put, you know, the big brother or sister that people kind of put in front of you and go, you need to be more like them. Oh, that's so funny. Sort of predisposed predisposed not to like them very much, really, because they were always the example that got thrown at us. But uh, when we decided to do the dramas, that meant I needed to dig into their lives. Right, you had to do some research. Yeah, so we went into Francis. I realized how ignorant I was about Francis's life, and of course, uh, St. Patrick and St. Cecilia. And I didn't really know as much about them as I thought I did. And when I dug into their lives, these dramatic stories came out. And I thought, yes. well, there, there's something here to be told that would make for great listening. Right. Well, we really enjoyed all of them. But, of course, my favorite was The Trials of St. Patrick. And our show today is mm-hmm. letting everybody know that St. Patrick's Day is coming. And today, March 2nd, we're just a couple of weeks away from March 17th to celebrate St. Patrick's Day in Washington, D.C. So how did you do mm-hmm. the research for St. Patrick? That must have been very entailed because, you know, you took his life from being 16 years old all the way up to when he was a bishop. Well, the good news is we have two letters that he wrote that give an account of his life, not in great detail, but he's sort of giving a defense of his ministry, the work that he did in uh, Hibernia, which uh, would later become Ireland. And through the details of that, it gave me a starting point to figure out what the flow of the drama would be. And then I went back to the history books. I went to look at the other sources that we have of what we know about the country at the time, what we know about uh, Roman Britain, which is where he was originally from, and, and sort of extrapolate from that all of the other information I would need to create this world uh, that, uh, that he was in. You really use the sound, like uh, when Patrick is captured and he's on the water, you can hear the waves going. And then, Mm -hmm. of course, how did you select the actors? You have some really good actors that have played young St. Patrick and then St. Patrick as uh, as he got older. Right. We had Sean T. O'Malley, who is actually from Dublin, play young Patrick. So uh, we had an authentic Irish accent in him because he is from there, though, Funny, we, of course, historically wouldn't know what their accents were like. Uh, they didn't sound anything like they do now. And then uh, we had John Reese davis who played older Patrick. Now, lots of people know John Reese davis from his work in Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings. I mean, he seems to be in almost everything nowadays. And uh, so we've been very fortunate with the caliber of talent that we can get in London. Um, we get great people in Patrick Kennedy, who does a lot of films in it. Uh, Guy Steiner, Dame Sean Phillips. I, I mean, all of these people 
come in and work with us and they just lift everything up. They make it all come alive. I mean, I know what what's on the page is just only as good as the actor who performs it. And when you get actors like that who could come in and buoy it all up and lift it up. And then, of course, our sound design is kind of a feature of what we do. It's like feature films in many ways. We don't do old-time radio where you just sort of have some sketchy sound. We kind of fill everything out as much as we can. Why don't we listen to a little bit of uh, to get a taste, since we have our audience listening today about the trials of St. Patrick. And, uh, Mike, what are we going to play? Yeah, so, Paul, this first clip is going to be from episode one of the series. It's when Patrick was captured by the Irish pirates. Right, and this is an exciting, well, kind of the introduction. This is the turning point for his life that takes him from all the comforts of his life in Roman Britain and then introduces him to this very harsh world that was um, Ireland at the time. All right, so let's take a listen. What's that? Dominic, Sophie, keep up. Who are you? Dominic, Sophie. Oh, yeah, <laughs> on your knees. Uh, no. Don't make it more painful than it has to be. Uh, 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 that gets it. It's so much easier this way. Uh, he's a big one. Uh, Hold still, you. Yeah. This one will have to be tied hard. Uh, 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 Look at him. He's still trying. Hit him again. Just don't kill him. That's got it. That's a hard there, will you? All right, so as we can hear, I mean, as Christine was saying, just the production element in and of itself is phenomenal. But we hear the hesitation in the voice of Patrick as he's being captured by these pirates. Mm -hmm. When you were writing that part of the script, how were you able to portray the fear in his voice, in, in the dialogue, to be extrapolated mm -hmm. out into you know, real-life emotion? Well, it's it's a combination of things. I, I know where it's going. I know as I'm writing the scene what it is that I, I need to have happen. And, and then when we go into the studio, I don't take the script as being sacred that every word on the page as I wrote it has to be done exactly that way. There's a dynamic in the studio when we work with the actor to say, all right, we are now going to need sounds because you're attacked by these five guys and they start to pull at you and you're struggling against them. And um, some of those, those vocalizations, I just, I just call them grunts. They're silly. We're, we're in the <laughs> studio. And I say, okay, I need you to do an opening the door grunt. I need you to do I'm sitting down in a chair sound. Uh, these vocalizations, we get the actors to do in anticipation of what we're later going to do with the production. So when we're in the studio, they don't hear all the sounds of waves crashing. And they're not That's true. actually That's true, hearing yes. the sounds of anything, really, other than acting with their voices, and then we put those in uh, lighter. So it's a bit bizarre. I've actually sat in the studio watching what we do and how we do it. And I thought, if anybody were to watch this from the outside, it, it looks kind of silly, really. I mean, <laughs> you have guys kind of moving around microphones, grunting and pulling and, <laughs> and making all kinds of bizarre noises. But those sort of vocalizations are necessary to make it, make it sound real. We are talking with Paul McCusker. He is the writer and the director of The Trials of St. Patrick. And 
as you heard in that first clip recently, he was being abducted by Irish pirates, but that was not all that he had to endure throughout his life. He endured extreme weather, starvation, loneliness. But yet, Paul, in the midst of all this, God was always with him. He always showed the love to the boy uh, who had once rejected it. Why, in your opinion, did Patrick initially reject that love that God showed? Well, by his own admission, he, he had grown up, uh, he was the son of sort of a Roman official in Roman Britain. And so he had um, a fairly comfortable life in many respects. And we have a sense that his father might have been something akin to a deacon, or certainly the integration of civil and religious life were very close. And so I think early on, by his own admission, he, he just said out of his ignorance, he sort of rejected it. He he wasn't interested. He was, it's very Augustinian. It's sort of the Solomon sense of, you know, he's just caught up in the worldly pleasures. He's caught up in a worldly life and, and all this other stuff wasn't. Uh, and he wasn't paying attention to, really. to the real meaning yeah. of what his parents were trying to say. So then later on when he gets captured and he's all alone and he only is talking to God all the time as his only friend and um, mm-hmm. uh, having this conversation, he's probably recalling what his parents once said to him. Probably well, had more of a that, meaning. That it all, it sort of all came back to him when he is in this isolated place where it's just him when he's suffering as much as he did. And unfortunately for so many of us, it's what God has to do. Uh, God essentially often strips away the things that are getting in the way of us actually recognizing him and, and, and engaging in him relationally. And so when Patrick is stripped away from everything that he held dear, all he had was God. So tell us and about the actress, the, the actress that played the woman that reciting from Scripture and words of the Bible. Tell mm-hmm. us about her well, and her role. Well, James Sean Phillips, the part was actually fictitious. We... Uh, we sort of made up the part because we wanted to remind the audience of Patrick's background and to also sort of nudge the audience and all of us in the direction of there are seeds that get planted in our lives that will come back to us. God will use them again and again, like memorization of Scripture, our memorization of prayers, and they'll come back to us when we need them. And the actress who played it, by the way, was one of the key actresses in the rather famous series, I Claudius, back in the 70s. She was married to Peter O'Toole, and one of these renowned actresses in Britain, but she came in in a very short time to capture yes. the essence of what Patrick needed to hear at that point in his life. Well, stay right there. We'll be right back to Catholics in the Capitol in just a moment. Established in 1992, the Susan Andrew Mona Foundation was founded on the element of a mother's love for her son. 26 years later, this local nonprofit operates on nothing less and carries on the tradition of neighbors helping neighbors. For more information, to donate or to follow our projects, please find us on facebook.com backslash S-A-Mona Foundation. That's facebook.com backslash S-A-M-O-N-A Foundation. Well, welcome back to Catholics in the Capitol. And I'd like to welcome my special weekly guest, Father Jack Hurley from the Cathedral of St. Matthews. Hello, Father. I'm excited to see you this week with St. Patrick's Day coming up. Yeah, that's right. We're only a couple of weeks away. 
And you were born in Ireland, correct? No, actually, my parents were. They're both from the southwest corner of Cork, from West Cork. They met in Boston, and so I was born in Boston, Cambridge. And you visited Ireland many times. Several times. My godmother actually went back a couple of years after uh, my baptism. I hope I wasn't the cause of her going back. No, actually, she went back to marry somebody. Uh huh. And did your mother have the brogue? A lilt. Oh, that's nice. Very yeah, nice. Very, very definitely. So yeah. you could tell us really about the saint, about Saint Patrick, the patron saint of Ireland. Right, because from my mother's point of view, the focus was on saint. Uh, she talks about growing up, and and this was a very quiet holy day that was observed at that time. Um, of course, she lived out in the country, and uh, obviously since then. The celebrations have uh, changed a bit, but we do still recognize the importance of, uh, you know, of observing yes. that, you know, with masses as well as the parade. Right. Well, tell us about St. Patrick then. Well, the information about his 30-odd years' activity in Ireland after he returned is a little uncertain. But the two basic documents would be the remarkable confession that he put together near the end of his life in response to critiques that had come from across the Irish Channel and Britain, and then a scathing excommunication almost letter that he wrote to the soldiers of Korotikos, a uh, kind of a bandit a uh, warrior who had uh, massacred many newly baptized Christians. And here, incidentally, he, he almost becomes a patron, early patron of just war theory, because he argued that it, it was inhuman to have massacred or uh, sent into slavery these relatively newly baptized Christians, rather than, as in many other parts of Europe, ransoming them then. Mm-hmm. And, um, that, I think, is, is a sense of uh, the just war theory already. Well, he did a lot of powerful him. things in his life. What do you know about him? Well, there is some variance on the, of at least 30 years in the dates of his birth, his mission in Ireland, and his death. But um, the date of birth would range from around the year 400 to 415. His mission in Ireland probably... Uh, we can date from around 432 when it was considered that it was then that he was named bishop to go to Ireland and evangelize the Irish. And then his date of death could have been if he was around in the mid-70s, perhaps between 460 and 490. We do know, of course, that he was a Roman Briton, born and educated probably Western Britain or Wales. And his grandfather, incidentally, was uh, Potitus, was a priest. His father, uh, at that time, uh, celibacy was not required. That came later. We know, of course, Peter, in fact, was married, had a mother-in-law. But his father was a deacon and local magistrate, it's thought. And Patrick's full name was Magorius Sucatus Patricius. And, of course, we know him particularly not as Magorius, but as Patrick. 
According to a, a lovely book, The Wisdom of St. Patrick by uh, Greg Tobin, Patrick, apparently from his youth, was a lover of nature. After his six years of servitude in Northern Ireland that we've heard about, and the natural beauty of the land, as well as the open, loving, and generous hearts of its people, were in his mind when he was able to escape. And these were there when he began his journey to being not merely a missionary to Ireland, but to become ultimately its apostle and patron saint. In the remarkable confessions that Patrick wrote near the end of his life in answer to critiques that he had received from across the sea in Ireland, in Britain rather, he includes 62 paragraphs. And I think it's something that could be compared with the confessions of St. Augustine. He begins, I am Patrick of Senna, the most unlearned and least of all the faithful and utterly despised by many. He then goes into his background, notes that he was captured a slave and whatnot. And then the Lord opened my mind and senses to the nature of my unbelief so that I may, however late, remember my sins and turn with all my heart to the Lord my God. He then continues to go into various aspects of his character, and it is a uh, remarkable presentation, you know, of his humility. Mm -hmm. But another uh, document that remains is a, a letter that he wrote to the soldiers of Karatikos uh, in which he condemned the uh, massacring of the uh, innocents, the newly baptized. We're also uh, probably familiar with what's known as the Lorica, or the breastplate prayer of St. Patrick, yes. which probably dates from some years after his death. But it is one that probably, if there is a special mass, as there will be this year, well, we uh, did that Patrick, that, that is often, uh, you know, recounted or, or sung, and you know, we we probably would recall it from the initial words: "I arise today, vast in might, invocation of the Trinity, belief in a threeness, confession of oneness, meeting in the Creator." And already we get a sense of the shamrock of the focus on the on the trinity well father jack we only have one minute so mm. do you have a prayer that you want to say well to I, us? there's I a remarkable that prayer that uh, greg tobin includes which is tied in with patrick's faith i pray heavenly father for the quality of faith that saint patrick possessed in such great measure he believed that he had a purpose in this world of woes he believed with a vivid purity that allowed no room for doubt May I be given such faith that will sustain me in difficult times. Illuminate my thoughts about God. Give me strength and conviction in human relationships. Fill me up with faith, Heavenly Father, that I may believe in your goodness and be of service to others. Amen. Well, that was wonderful, Father Jack. Can I look for you at the parade? Thank you, and I'll be looking out for you, too. Okay, so you're, with the, you're the chaplain of the Ancient Order of Hibernians, right? Right, and, okay. and we uh, will be having a float in the uh, D.C. parade, which will be on March 11th. Well, God bless you, and thank you for coming in today on Catholics in the Capitol, and happy St. Patrick's Day this month. Likewise. We'll be right back.
Mona Electric Group is the leader in commercial and industrial electrical contracting in the D.C. Baltimore metro area with over 700 employees and over 250 trucks on the road. Founded by Cap Mona in 1966, Mona leads the industry in electrical service, renovation construction, new construction, fire alarm system, data system, and security system solutions. And with over $10 million in charitable giving as published in the Washington Business Journal, Mona Electric Group is the responsible choice in commercial and industrial electrical contracting. Visit GetMona.com for details. That's GetMona.com. When the Roman Empire came to its knees before Christ, the hunting of Christians temporarily ceased. Searching for a way to stay united to the cross of Christ, the saints began to look to the desert. Each of us are invited to find the cross of Christ in the desert of our life. Join Dr. Kenneth Howe in this journey guided by the wisdom of the Desert Fathers. On Tuesdays, February 20th, 27th, and March 6th, the Institute of Catholic Culture is hosting Desert Fathers of Alexandria. This is an online webinar and registration is required. To do so, visit instituteofcatholicculture.org. Welcome back. And now I have with me in the studio, Dan Dan, the radio man. And it's the fun part of the show when we talk about what to do in Washington, D.C. And now we have St. Patrick's Day coming up. So how are you, Dan? I'm great, Christina. How are you? I'm doing great. I've got my green on. I'm all set. You ready? I know St. Patrick's is a couple of days out, but we hit March. And so, you know, that's one of the things people think about. It's uh it's a great celebration that's taken off across the U.S. And whether you're Catholic or not, or Irish or not, a lot of people love to celebrate St. Patrick's. You don't have to be Catholic to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. No, just come have a good time. But uh, there's a lot of interesting different events going around town. But one thing you know, it, it is again a day commemorating a saint in the church. So I would point to St. Patrick's Church here in D.C., which is a very historic church. It goes back to 1794. It's actually the oldest parish in the federal city of Washington, D.C., so outside of Georgetown, it's the oldest parish in D.C. It was originally built for uh, the stonemasons who were helping to build the White House and the U.S. Capitol. So a lot of Catholic immigrants were going to that parish, mostly Irish immigrants at that time. But it's a very interesting church because uh, it has some, you know, wonderful, you know, stained glass windows, has some uh, wonderful statues of St. Patrick, St. Joseph, St. Anthony of Padua. And even it has a, a replica of the Pieta, Michelangelo's Pieta. That's right. Uh, and a few other different statues. But um, a special mass they're having is March 16th, so the day before St. Patrick's, at 11.30 a.m. for the Solemnity of St. Patrick's. The celebrant for that mass is going to be our own Auxiliary Bishop, Roy Campbell, Jr. So that would be a great opportunity for people to go to this historic uh, And what parish. time does that start? 11.30 a.m. Okay. It's and start. what's the address over at St. Patrick's Church again? 619 10th Street Northwest. Okay. I mean, if you want to go to their website, just type in Saint, you spell it out, stpatrickdc.org. Okay. So then what else do you have after that? Well, we can't talk about St. Patrick's without talking about uh, the DC Parade on uh, the 17th St. Patrick's Parade. This is the 48th annual parade, and it will start at 12 noon and it will proceed down Constitution Avenue from 7th to 17th Streets Northwest in our nation's capital. For those of you who like to sit during it, there's grandstands between 5th and 16th Streets um, if you want to see the march. And they have over 100 marching bands, military units, dance schools, floats, and groups for the parade. So again, if you want to check that out and get some more information, go to dcstpatsparade.com for more information on that. Well, that's always fun. I always like to walk down to the White House because they take the fountain that's in the front and they put green dye in it. So we know that uh, the president and President Trump will probably be celebrating breakfast with uh, Ambassador Dan Mulhall, who's the ambassador to Ireland and probably 
has invited the tea shock Ed Kenny to come along for breakfast. So it's always good that people are walking around taking some photos of the White House. What about a place to eat? You got any recommendations there? Well, got some recommendations, and I'll have to say I'm a little biased. Since we're uh, near Union Station, we uh, have our favorite place, the Dubliner, which is uh, just uh, about a block or two from Union Station. That's my favorite, too. It's our favorite. We love to go there for lunch. You know, great food. You know, whether it's the shepherd's pie, beef stew, or beef on weck, you can't go wrong at the Dubliner. Well, I like because they have music there. Now, aren't they going to have something there from March 11th to 17th? Yes. They have a couple they- of singers going to be in there doing some Irish music. Yes, they will have live singers. Uh, so they'll have John McGrath, Brian Gaffney, and Morris Minor, March 11th through the 17th. And, and typically, they, most nights they have, I think, in the evening, uh, live music. So you just go to their website and just look and see who's on the list uh, for that night. But again, great food, great drinks, and great music. And always a lot of fun. And they always also get a lot of people from the Hill, right, during the week. Yes, a lot of people yeah. from the Hill. You go there in the afternoons for lunch. It's, it's fairly packed, and I'm, I'm sure... Uh, that Saturday is going to be jam-packed and just uh, a lot of excitement, a lot of fun. Yeah, are you planning to have a green beer? Uh, maybe not a green beer. I might do a Guinness, but I'm not sure if I'm <laughs> going to chance to get a green beer, but I'll definitely do a Guinness. Well, it sounds like fun. Well, it's great to see you, Dan. Great seeing you, Christina. And enjoy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. We'll be right back. Catholics in the Capitol will return right after this break on 1160 AM WMET. Did you know taking the oral contraceptive pill for cycle irregularities may delay or prevent a diagnosis? Try the alternative in NAPRO Technology Approaches, networking natural family planning and women's health, which can help discover the underlying cause. You can find your local fertility care center at fertilitycare.org forward slash Maryland or visit adw.org forward slash family for in-person or distance learning options. Your cycles and your doctor's care in harmony with your spirituality. Not sure what gift to get for your loved one or what book to read next? Go to Paschal Lamb. Paschal Lamb is a full-service Catholic bookstore and gift shop. Located in Fairfax, Virginia, Paschal Lamb has a large variety of top-quality merchandise and a knowledgeable staff. We're open Monday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. For more information, call 703-273-5956 or shop online at paschallamb.com. Patrick. What? Who is it? It's Victor. Victor? What are you doing here? I've brought letters. Letters? Many letters. Who are they from? Read. Oh, holy boy. Oh, holy boy. Come and walk among us once more. Oh, holy boy. Oh, holy boy. Oh, holy boy. Oh, holy boy. Come and walk among us once more. Come and walk among us once more. Well, we're back on Catholics in the Capitol now, and we're going to continue 
with Paul with our story about the trials of St. Patrick. Now, I know it's really important that there is an episode on the CDs and in the story when Patrick has a dream that calls him back to Ireland, the place where he was all alone and captured, and somehow God calls him back there to convert the pagans or the people that weren't Christian. Can you tell us and set that scene up for us, Paul? Well, it's remarkable because, as often happens in the lives of the saints, God asked them to do the most unexpected thing. So Patrick spent several years as a slave, essentially, in Ireland, finally escaped, made it back to England, made it back to his home. And he's there, and he had a full sense. He was there for a while that he was there for good, that he was finally home and that he was going to get back to his life. And then this dream comes to him. Now, keeping in mind, of course, that uh, spiritually he was a different person from the boy who had left. And so he was far more attuned to God and to what God might ask him to do. But he had this dream where these voices came to him, as we heard, that they were asking him to return to Ireland. They needed him. Come to us, dear boy. And they were asking him to return. And it was, in many ways, it's insane. I mean, who returns to the place where not only they had been held as slaves, but could be taken as a slave again. True, I mean, true. And then he has this Ireland. conversation with his father, too, where his father kind of well, accepts, yes. right? Well, and that's the thing. I, I think a good sense would have said, no, you want to stay here, be safe, live out your life, get married, do the things that you thought you were going to do. But the fascinating thing is that there were people around him who understood that you don't, you don't say no to God. Everyone can right. think in terms of Jonah and other examples of, of saying no and what ultimately could go wrong with that. And so to have the encouragement of people around him saying, go back, fine, if that's what God wants you to do, then go. So he set about doing that, and he went through the proper process of doing it, which was to basically become a priest, to move through the training of the church to go back not as an individual, but as someone who's going on behalf of the Church, because it was the only way to do it. All right, Paul, in this last clip that we have, kind of getting near the end of the journey with Patrick, he encounters what may be a demon en route to his battle with the greater demon. Can you explain to Mm -hmm. us, uh, we're going to listen to this in just a, a brief second, but can you explain to us, leading up to this battle, what Patrick was enduring before that battle? Yeah, it's very important, I think. For me, Patrick going back to Ireland was not some haphazard, just make it up as you go along. I believe from his writings, he was very strategic. He understood what he had to do in that culture. He understood how he had to maneuver the pagan ideas, the druids, the kings, the civil authorities that were sort of these fiefdoms, these tribes all over the country. But the key thing that I wanted to zero in on was the spiritual reality, what he was up against spiritually by bringing Christ to that country. And I wanted to make it clear that the gods, the spirits he was up against, were very real and very dangerous. And so he is now headed for this major encounter, essentially, with Krom Kruak, which we identify as sort of the worst of the gods of, of Ireland at the time. And Uh, To kind of set that up, I wanted to show this sort of journey that he's making, where he's he's headed in that direction and coming up against obstacles, very frightening obstacles. All right, so let's take a listen to Patrick's encounter with Chrome Kruak. (sighs) 
What's your name, demon? You may call me anything you like. Lord? Master? Whatever befits a slave speaking to his owner. You have no claim to us. We belong to another. Do you now? You are so sure of your position. How do you know? Faith. Faith that he'll protect you. Here and now. Here, now, and always. He is my shield. Then let us climb a mountain together. We'll throw ourselves off to see which of us lives. I would not presume to test God to satisfy your trickery. Hmm. What is the difference between faith and presumption? Don't bother me with your vain arguments. Vain? These are the questions of life, Patrick. Are we not all creations of the God you serve? Am I not here because he made me? Together we dance. You in your way, I in mine, and we bring glory to him. You bring glory to no one but yourself, evil one. You desire to be God, but you have failed, just as your master failed when he was cast out of the heavenly places for his rebellion and pride. A lie! God was jealous of him. He's always been a jealous God. Didn't he enshrine it in his commandments? Petty. That's what makes my master superior to him. There are no other gods before him. Patrick, the druids are coming. They want your blood as revenge. They will not enjoy a single drop. <laughs> In this you are right. Kromkruach will meet you face to face. He'll decide your fate. He'll decide nothing but the manner of his own demise. All right, so as we just heard, that's a phenomenal clip. Very moving, very telling. And I like in this entire thing that we hear it's a spiritual battle, Patrick's spiritual battle, because so many of us also deal with these spiritual battles. So I think it has a little bit of timeliness and a little humanistic element of the story that people who are listening to The Trials of St. Patrick can very much relate to. Aside from it obviously being a huge part in Patrick's life, was it very important for that to get in there so people could have a relatable element to the story, too. Well, it was important to me taking on the life of Patrick that, uh, for example, if Francis as a drama was kind of exploring a very internal life, a devotional life, a personal relationship with Christ in, in the way that Francis came at it, I realized that the parallels with Patrick was exactly what you were alluding to, that there are things that Patrick was up against that we're up against now. And that God is calling many of us to engage, but not engage in the most predictable ways, but certainly to engage spiritually in the forces that are working against us and against Christianity today. So if there's some inspiration to be found in Patrick's life, that's, that's what I was hoping we could, we could tease out, that it's very real. It was, it's not just mythological. He was up against some very diabolical forces, as we are now. And God is calling us to rise against them. Well, that's well said, Paul. You know, you, these tapes, you can listen to them over and over again and then get something that you didn't hear the first time, the second time. You know, I had them in my car, and I drove back from uh, New Jersey, and it was like I was almost sorry that they were over because I had gotten so enthralled with listening. I, I felt like I was listening to real theater, imagining it in my mind. 
and I've been recommending it to all of my friends. Tell our listeners where they can go to get the CDs. Well, first place to go would be airtheater.org. It's Augustine Institute Radio Theater, but we just have a website, airtheater.org. And it tells a lot about what we're doing. We have promotional videos of the different dramas we've done. It explains how to get them. And I believe that they're available at um, local Catholic bookstores and um, and through Amazon and some of those sites. Lighthouse Catholic Media has them, of course. So there are a lot of places to get them. I think they're on Audible for those who are Audible users. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so just if you Google it or just go to airtheater.org, then uh, you'll, you'll be able to find it. Well, I definitely recommend it. So what else are you working on now? What's your next project? Well, we, we're we toying with three or four different things, and I hate to give too much away, but uh, and it may seem unlikely to a lot of people, but uh, there's a character from history that uh, was very Catholic uh, as we first uh, knew him back in the Middle Ages, but most people don't know that because all of it's been stripped out of a story, but uh, we're looking at Robin Hood. Oh. Uh, the story of Robin Hood. That could and be the fascinating. The writings about Robin Hood was... He was a devoted Catholic, devoted to Mary, and uh, I want to do a story that reintroduces that. So we're doing Saints and Saints in the Making. That's very exciting. I look forward to that. Michael? Mm. I was just wondering how you decided on which ones to do and why and when it came about. Was it uh, another overlapping theme that a lot of Catholics get is a lot of callings come from God in dreams. You know, Patrick got the call to go back to Ireland through a dream, not saying that you received your, you know, answer to do radio dramas based off of a dream that you had, but can you explain the process of how you chose to do the dramas on the characters that you did? Well, uh, in in the case of the, the three that we've done at the Augustine Institute, Dr. Tim Gray actually brought that to me and said, oh, well, why don't we do this, uh, Francis? And the first step for me, honestly, is, is it a dramatic story? Is it something that's going to be compelling? Some of the saints' lives are very internal, and they make hard storytelling because they are internal. Their their writings are more devotional than plot-driven, if that makes any sense. And so when I'm going through and thinking it, uh, well, is there a story here that's compelling enough to tell? Otherwise, just read the books that we have from the saints, and that'll do the job. So that's a big part of the the first step. And then the other is not to be repetitious, but to actually explore, find the saints whose lives resonate today and stories worth telling and would be meaningful to people now, as we found with, from different directions, Francis, Patrick, and Cecilia. So those three alone just have three very, even though they're three saints, they're very different stories. And so the inspiration for those usually come from the saints themselves. I invite their participation. If I'm going to dramatize <laughs> their lives, I, I ask for their help. Yeah. Oh, that's to, great. To do it and to, to hear do that. it well. So that's a big part of how we make our decisions. That's awesome. We are talking with Paul McCusker. He is the writer and the director of The Trials of St. Patrick. Paul, we just have a couple more minutes. This one is uh, my last question, and it's kind of a personal one. I... I do work in audio production as well, and so I kind of nerd out on these things. How long did it take to actually produce, you know, post-production, the entire series of The Trials of St. Patrick? Well, it's it, it takes several months, actually, because once we record the voice tracks with the actors, we bring all those pieces back, 
And those pieces have to be assembled with sound effects, which are usually custom done. Most of our sound effects are not pulled off of some sound effect record. Uh, they're usually very specific. We also have a composer, uh, Jared Pascal did the three, and he is customizing the score. This is not generic music. This is music he's creating like a feature film. Oh, that's phenomenal. And then we have to take all those pieces with the voice tracks, with the sound effects, with the music, and then it gets mixed together. Nate Jones, who did the, the final mix on this, takes all those pieces and we bring them together to create the maximum effect of storytelling so that the imagination stimulated in the right way. It's people getting what it is that's supposed to be um, uh, what they're supposed to get in the story and what they should be imagining. So uh, it's, it's a long process. These things are not quickly done. Uh, we try to do them as quickly as we can, but it's pretty extensive in terms of the level of detail, as, as I think you've noticed. Well, we want to thank you so much for joining us, Paul, today on Catholics in the Capitol, and I recommend everybody to look into getting these wonderful CDs of the saints, Brother Francis you have out there, Ode to St. Cecilia, and of course, The Trials of St. Patrick. God bless you for all of the work, the hard work that you've done, and keeping in with the saints in your life. Well, thanks. Thank you very much, and thanks for taking the time to talk about it. Well, that wraps up our show today, and I hope you all enjoyed listening to our intriguing interview with writer and producer Paul McCusker. And listening to those clips today were very inspiring. I learned so much about St. Patrick, and I want to thank Mike Wasabaugh for producing today's show and being able to put together those wonderful clips about the capture of St. Patrick and talking about the evil demons, and uh, it was very exciting to hear all the sound. So you may be driving in your car, and you, you might want to listen to something spiritual instead of the news. I would definitely recommend to get those CDs and listen to audio theater. I mean, they're such great saints. they got St. Francis, and they also have Ode to St. Celia, and, of course, the Trials of St. Patrick. Those are my favorite stories. And again, I want to thank our spiritual friend and weekly guest, Father Jack Hurley, who's a wonderful priest from the famous Cathedral of St. Matthews. And thank you for joining us about the beloved saint of Ireland called St. Patrick. And Father is hosting his Bible series, so don't forget to visit the Cathedral website at www.stmatthewscathedral.org. He's teaching some Bible classes, and I think the next one is probably going to be on March 12th. So check that out. And then I want to thank Dan, Dan, the radio man, my co-host, for what to do in Washington and check out the fun things that are going to be done on St. Patrick's Day weekend. I'd like to end with one of my favorite prayers to Our Lady of Knock. Our Lady of Knock, Queen of Ireland, you gave hope to our people in a time of distress and comforted them in sorrow. You have inspired countless pilgrims to pray with confidence to your divine son. Remembering his promise, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find. Help me to remember that we are all pilgrims on the road to heaven. Fill me with love and concern for my brothers and sisters in Christ, especially those who live with me. Comfort me when I am sick or lonely or depressed. Teach me how to take part evermore reverently in the Holy Mass. Pray for me now and at the hour of my death. Amen. 
We mentioned earlier that Pope Francis may be going to Our Lady in Knox Shrine, so keep that prayer in your heart. Well, next week there'll be no radio show for WMET, no Catholics in the Capitol show, but we will be hosting for Guadalupe Radio Network, a share So you'll want to tune in for that. It's going to be a very inspiring week with hosts Michael Wasabaugh and Dan DeBasi. Yeah, Christina, actually for the share it's going to be all the hosts from all over the entire Guadalupe Radio Network. So what happens, Great. we cut our regular programming. Um, it gives us an opportunity to raise operating funds to keep Catholic Radio on the air. So if you like Catholic Radio and you want to help us out next week, Tuesday through Friday, you can check us out then. Wonderful. Well, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for joining us today, and especially the Mona Electric Group, Vince Cap Mona, and the Andrew and Susan Mona Foundation, who are our sponsors for Catholics in the Capitol. So please go to our Catholics in the Capitol Facebook page or email me at christinacox at grnonline.com. I am Christina Cox, your radio host for Catholics in the Capitol on WMET 1160 AM. And before I go, join me in saying, God bless the Roman Catholic Church and God bless America. Now stay tuned for Dr. David Anders for Call to Communion.